Blog Talk Radio. Funky Writer Show, all about the funk of writing. I'm your host and navigator, Robert Batista. The Funky Writer Show has been called the most informative, eclectic outlet for all wordsmiths and literati. Now celebrating over six years of dynamic Writers Talk Radio. Connect with us on our exciting Twitter page by going to at the funky writer. It is with great pleasure that we have as our guest USA Today best-selling and award-winning novelist Betty Lee Crosby. Welcome Betty Lee Crosby to the Funky Writer Show. Thank you Robert, it's a pleasure to be here. And it's nice oh, it's... to be known as Funky. <laughs> <laughs> so, without further ado, let's get funky. Betty, so good having you on the Funky Writers Show. Let's start off by you giving our audience some background of your life's journey and how you got to where you are today. Okay. Um, actually, I didn't start out to be a writer. I started out to be an artist. And I studied fine art in college. And I began my career at a packaging firm designing packaging. And somewhere along the line, one of the salesmen was in a big hurry and didn't want to take time to bother with going back to the client. And I said, excuse me, sir, I need some copy for the back of this package. And he said, just make something up, kid. Whatever you make up is okay with me. And I did. (laughs) And I found that I really loved working with words. I found it's it's another form of painting. It's painting a picture with words. And I really found that was my calling. Um, my mother is, my mother, my, both of my parents actually, are from the South, and Southerners are great storytellers. So I like to think I inherited that art from her. The Seattle Post Intelligencer says, your writing is a quirky mix of Southern flair serious thoughts about important things in life, and madcap adventures. Betty, would you say that's an accurate assessment of your books? I think say that's very accurate. (laughs) Um, I think everything in life has a serious side, and if you let yourself take a look at it, it also has a rather funny side, and you kind of reach a point in life where you can either laugh at the things that happen or you can cry about them. And my characters generally choose to laugh about them or just 
pick themselves up, brush themselves off, and start over again. And I think that's pretty much my own attitude about life. So um, I think everything you are and everything you think comes through in the characters you write. People have often asked me, um, is there any one character that's modeled after you? And I say, you know what? There's a part of me in every character, even the bad guys. That's that's so true. That is so true. All of my books, there's there's a part of me in just about every character. And they say you are what you write. That is so true. Betty, you... You've said storytelling is in my blood. My mom was not a writer, but she was a captivating storyteller. So I find myself using bits and pieces of her voice in most everything I write. Betty, talk to us more on how your mother weaved the story she told and how that affected you as a child. Oh, my gosh. I can remember as a little girl, my mother, I would have my little friends over, and my mother would start to tell us the story. And when she told the story, it was so magical that all the kids were sitting around with their mouths hanging open and just just glued to every single word. She And my mother would, you know, she put everything into it. It wasn't a complicated story, she'd say. And then the bear went up the mountain, and everybody would go, <gasps> and that's the kind of stories I write. <laughs> It I love that. Like I love ex- that magic of believing anything could happen. Um, believing that, yes, maybe it really is true that a fairy showed up that day, or maybe it is true that the car toppled over and two men picked it up. Um, believing in those miracles and believing that anything can happen is part of the magic of reading. And it also sounded like your mother was a very, very descriptive storyteller. Yes, she was. She was in a simple but a simple but rich way. Um, right. My right. mom did not go through college or anything, but she had so much intelligence and so much ability to just pull people in with her words and her right. her descriptions. She didn't use huge words to describe something, but when she described it, you'd picture every single nuance of it. You could picture the pimple on the bad guy's nose or the <laughs> hair growing out of the doctor's ear, you know? So it was just just really, I think she taught me more about just seeing all these little things about people, seeing their good things and their bad things, seeing the flaws. And often when I talk about people in my book, when I describe people in my book, um, in my books, I should say, um, I describe them from the inside, not from the outside. I don't spend a whole lot of time telling you whether they have dark eyes or dark hair or, right. you know, a pimple on their nose, but I tell you what's in their soul, what they're, right. what what inspires them to, to create the actions that they create. It's funny you say that, Betty, because I'm writing now, I'm reading now a book where uh, the author is describing a, a character and goes off on a tangent of the eyes and the nose and the face and the, <laughs> no. you know, and I'm like, I get it already. I get it. You know, I don't need to know. Let, let me have some type of mystery and some type of imagination yeah. on that. And, and as you said, tell me about their soul, because once you talk about their soul, then everything else is clear. Yeah. 
you know, everything yeah. else comes to, comes to pass also. So I'm with you 100%. And I do the same thing. I very rarely will be that descriptive. I'll let you figure that yeah. out for yourself. So um, Exactly. Today, Everyone wants to yeah. see them see the character the way they want to. And besides, you know what? It really doesn't make much of a difference in the story if the sofa is blue or yellow. I right. mean, that's just, it's insignificant. So I try right. to stick to the more significant things that change a person in the story that, that help them to grow or help them to find themselves or something like that. Exactly. So today, uh, Betty, we're discussing one of your many books, Passing Through Perfect, the Wyattsville series, book three. Uh, first off, enlighten us, Betty, on the basis of the Wyattsville series and the first two books prior to this book three. Um, the Wyattsville series, when I started, I wrote all standalone novels. That's just the way I saw the story. I saw the story with a beginning and I saw the story with an end. So I wrote standalone novels, and one of those novels was Spare Change. Well, um, I published it, and it's the story of a young boy, and he's 11 years old, and his family is killed, and um, he goes in search of a grandfather that um, has already has remarried to a woman who cannot stand the thought of children. And he, the grandfather has died, so this woman is the only person this boy has, and they forge a wonderful friendship. But it was written as a standalone book, and... When I finished it, the town that they lived in was Wyattsville, Virginia. And when I finished it, everybody kept clamoring for my readers would write to me and say, there's going to be a sequel, isn't there? There's going to be, I want more stories about him. And so it came to pass that I wrote the second book and then I wrote the third book. And Wyattsville is the the thread that ties them all together. Each one is a standalone story. You could read any one of the three books. And understand the story completely. But if you read it from book one, you'll know all the little background things. Right. But it's the the town that ties them together. Got it. Got it. So where do you take your readers in book three? Where did this story germinate from? And what is the meaning of its title? Well... Book three is was my biggest challenge to date, and I am so, so proud of it. It's written in the voice of a young black man in the 1940s. Now, obviously, I am not. <laughs> and um, But my family came from the South, and I did see a lot of the hardships that the black people went through in that time, and it was a tough life. It was a really tough life, and half the world has no idea the way it was there. They just, you know, they can't fathom it. They see city life, but they don't see the life as it was in the back roads country. And that's pretty much what it's about. He comes home from the war in 1940s, and um, he works at a farm. You know, he he was originally a sharecropper. They ended up making enough to buy the land, and um, he and his father worked it. And his mother has already passed away. He ends up marrying, and they have a child, and she is killed by a hit-and-run driver. And the boy saw it, and he knows who it was and everything. He knows the car. So Benjamin, the lead character, finds the car 
and tracks it down, and he goes to the sheriff. And, of course, those are the times when he told the sheriff, and the sheriff just pretty much ignored it. So it's kind of, it's a sad story in that it's the kind of thing that actually did happen. But when they leave there, they meet, they leave there and they travel through Wyattsville. And um, they meet up with a family that shows them the other side of life, that shows them goodness and kindness and sticks up for them. And ultimately, they end up leaving, and this man arranges for him to get a job up north. And as they as they leave town, the boy says, gee, Daddy, I don't know why we couldn't stay there. He said, that was pretty much perfect. Why couldn't we just stay there? And Benjamin says, son, you don't always get a chance to live in perfect. You only pass through sometimes. Mm. Wow. Betty, you've agreed to read a portion of the opening of this book. Um, Can you do this for us now? I'd be delighted. This is Benjamin. When I write books, I often have segments where the character speaks directly to the reader. I love doing that because I think the reader can get inside the character's head. Sometimes a right. book that's written completely in one in first person um, does not tell you all the different sides of the story. So I tell my stories in narrative most of the time okay. and then have insets or individual chapters that are the story of that character speaking. And this is Benjamin, and he starts the book. He says, when the heart of a man gets pulled loose, he starts dying. I started dying a year ago, and I'm still working on it. I ain't going all at once. I'm going piece by piece. If you was to see me pushing the plow or chopping wood, you'd figure me a whole man, a heaving, hauling, heart of muscle and stinking of sweat man. But the truth is, I ain't been whole since this same day last year. It ain't my skin and bones what's dying. It's my soul. My body's still walking around, doing chores and taking orders from folks like Mrs. Mayfield. But my soul, that's lying out on Cross Corner Road alongside Delia. In the year gone by, I suffered more misery than God ought to expect a man to bear. Now I come to where I can't take no more. It ain't easy leaving a place where you was born. But I got Isaac to think of, and the boy deserves better. I ain't going to say if this is a good decision or not, but come tomorrow morning, Isaac and me is leaving here, and we ain't gonna, never going to look back at Alabama. This is a place of shame and misery, the shame of a man called boy and the misery of losing what you love. Of course, to understand the size of my misery, you'd have to know how it was with me and Delia. Wow. Uh, wow. That opening is so powerful. Makes me want to pick up the book right right now. Wow. That was very powerful. Um, Betty, one five-star Amazon review by Susan Schleicher says, even though it is hard to read about the unfair way blacks were treated back then, it happened. And It is part of our history. Betty is able to use her talent of writing to weave a story that shows us both the good times and the bad times of that era. She fills her stories with such great characters and in such a way that they become our friends. We really care about what happens to them. Wow. I guess that means you kind of nailed it, eh, Betty? 
Thank you. Yes, I'd like to think so. I actually, I'm really proud of that book. Um, I think it was a big challenge when I first got started. And when I first started, I had anticipated it, telling it differently. But then I just found that Benjamin's voice was so strong that I had to tell his side of it. So he had to be the main the main person that would speak. So let's talk feedback. You know, when I was when I do a lot mm-hmm. of research when I'm doing books, especially a book like this. And one of the books, and it's funny that I happened upon it because it was really quite by accident. Right. Um, but I was probably about two thirds of the way finished with this book when um, I happened upon Jimmy Carter's boyhood memoir, and he lived not in Alabama but the next state, so um, Georgia. So, but it was pretty much the same kind of an environment, this country farming backroads place. And I read it and I said, oh my God, I feel so vindicated. I feel like I have, I have just really touched the core of the way this really was. So it, that made me very happy. They gave me a lot of confidence in that I hadn't overplayed it. I hadn't underplayed it, that I had told it like it was. Yes, you nailed it. So let's talk feedback. How did people who've read and absorbed this book respond to it? Very well. Um, I've had one or two. (laughs) This, I think, is a funny review, but it's a fact of life. She wrote on there, and a lot of my books are lighter than this, not quite as heavy in their subject matter. And she read it and reviewed it, and she wrote in her review, this was a very good book, and it was very well written, but I'm only giving it three stars because I don't like sad books. I like happy books. <laughs> so, I mean, okay. That's a fact of life. I think that the, she wrote, I read, for, I read for pleasure, and I don't want to worry about anyone. And um, I think that's true. I think there are a lot of people who only want to read for pleasure, and they only want to read either romance or or a mystery that, you know, they don't have to commit to caring about the characters. Right. The one thing I can say about my own writing is that I think almost every book that I've written, you can't walk away from the book without caring about the character. Right. Right, exactly. As a writer myself, Betty, I always find it challenging to write a character that's another race or gender. Your main character, Benjamin Church, is both. How challenging was it writing from those other perspectives, Betty? Well, you know, once I got into his head, I mean, I understood the situation as it was there. And when I'm writing a character, I really do get into the character's head. I have to feel it. I, You know, I can't sit down at the computer and write. I go for walks or I take the dog out or something like that. And that's when the story goes into my head. When I sit down at the computer, it's really to put words on paper. By then, I have the feeling that I'm looking for. And um, once I got into his head, I could think like he thought. And you know what? Inside, we're all the same. Inside, whether we're male or female or, or black or white or any other color, inside, we have a heart and a heart that can be hurt. And we love people and we hate other people, not maybe hate, but, you know, have a dislike or sometimes hate, yes, other people. And um, we're struggling with life. And so inside, once I got inside his head, I could pretty much feel what he felt. 
So once I got started with it, it was amazing how how it came to me, his voice. So my next obvious question would be, how long did it take you to get into Mr. Church's head? Um, I usually spend anywhere from a month to two or three months thinking about a story before I actually start writing it. Okay. Um, and, it, you know, I'm thinking about it for a long time usually, and I think about it and, and kind of get used to them and get to know them and feel how they feel their challenges, and then I start to write it. You know, it's funny because the first page of a book is probably the most important page. Right. Um, maybe even more important than the last page. But um, the first one is the one you write, and that's the one you write before you know the character well enough. So that's why <laughs> I spend so much time ahead of time. I feel like, you know, that first, uh, you know, if I don't come out of the box knowing my character really well, there's not going to be a whole lot of hope for the book because you really have to. You have to know them when you first, when you start that first page, you want them to, that character to reach out and just grab the reader by the throat and hold on to the last page. How true is that? With all the thousands and thousands and thousands of books that are published every month, every year, I mean, you know, people have so much choices now on their phones and on their iPads and everything. So you're right. You have to grab them and hold them, you know, that first, those first couple of pages. Um, Betty, one of the things that we admire about your books is the strong development of your characters. Betty, how do you come up with these and onionistically well-laid protagonists in your stories? <laughs> um, as I said, I spent yes, a lot I of did time say getting onionistically. to know them. <laughs> <laughs> I do spend a lot of time getting to know them and, and getting to know their quirks more than anything else and you know sometimes the the start of a story is born from something so inane that it's almost laughable um when i wrote spare change um that book is starts the setting of it where the young boy lives is out on the eastern shore of virginia and it's the whole concept of that story started when my husband and i went to visit friends out there And we're driving out there, and it's the longest stretch of empty road I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. There's really, it's a skinny little road. There's not much on either side. And I said, holy cow, somebody could get murdered out here, and you wouldn't even know (laughs) it. And that was the start of the story. (laughs) And I kept thinking about that and thinking about that, and I thought, well, who'd get murdered out here? And, you know just goes from that. So I start, and when I start, I don't really outline my stories because they change so much. I've tried outlining, but, you know, I get part way in, and characters kind of pull at you to do one thing or another. Yes. And um, yes. so yes. I find that when I do, even when I do outline, I don't really stick to it. So, You know, Betty, it's amazing as a writer, you know, our characters talk to us. As we're writing oh, the story and, and make us go in different directions. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's just amazing how people who don't write, you know, they won't understand that. But, you know, they, like you said, you know, if you write an outline and then you're zigzagging and, and changing and, and, you know, it's, it's, a ma- it's a process that we go through. So let's go back to the birth of your published writings. How did you get your first book published and what challenges, if any, did you face in getting your first well, story out to the world? I wrote for business for any number of years, 
and then um and I did very well. Um, you know, I was like second in command in the company I was in. And wow. um I reached a point where I was kind of uh what should I say, stalemated at that spot. You know, right. I was working directly for the president, so you know, there wasn't anywhere else to go. And I kinda knew my job backwards and forwards, so right. Super easy, and I was kind of bored. And I'm I'm a avid avid reader. I always have been. And um, I used to ride my exercise bike in the morning. So I'd be riding my exercise bike, and um, the news would come on. Well, after you've seen the news five minutes of news, every subsequent five minutes is the same news. <laughs> so That's it got right. pretty boring, and my mind started to wander. And I thought, because people used to always say to me, "Gee, you're such a good writer. You should write a book." And my answer was always. I have nothing to write a book about. <laughs> and that was kind of how I thought until I actually just let my mind start wandering and I, I started to write. And I, um, at that time, you know, I never studied typing in school. And um, I took art and academic courses in art. And so when I was working, if I had something that needed to be typed, I gave it to my secretary. And I used to bring in handwritten manuscript pages and give it to her. And she says, oh, I just love this. And she would type it up. But in time, you know, I did learn. I, I borrowed the company. I brought home the company laptop and kind of learned to feel my way around the computer. And now I, I do well with it. <laughs> Let's talk my about laugh- Betty. My husband laughingly calls me the tech in the house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I finally <laughs> learned to master it pretty well. <laughs> Let's talk about Betty Lee Crosby, the person. What type of child were you, a conformist, rebellious, or a little bit of both? Um, probably a little bit of both. Um, I was very creative even when I was a kid. I could amuse myself for a zillion hours. I mean, I would line up all my dolls and have say, okay, now you sit there and I'm going to do this. And while I'm doing this, you do that. And we used to have, we lived in a big apartment in Manhattan at one point, And there was an old gas, at one time there had been a gas heater in the fireplace. And um, it had all these little doors and channels, I guess, that were vents. And I used to get my paper dolls and go over there to the, it had long years been not in use. Um, but the, that, that furnace, that, that heater thing was still in there. So I'd go there and I'd pretend it was a castle and I'd have my paper dolls climbing up it. But I just, I guess I always had a very active imagination. <laughs> yes, yes, definitely. <laughs> Betty, who were some, you talked about you were an avid, or you are an avid reader. Who were some of the authors you enjoyed reading as a young person, and what were some of the books that affected you the most back in the day? You know, people sometimes ask me, what book affected your life the most? And you know what I say? The Bible. (laughs) That's the one that affected me the most. Well, that's a great, great answer. Because you know what? That's a Bible that sets the stage for your life. And so that one is, is the book that affected me the most. Who did I read? Almost everything. I read Grimm's Fairy Tales till they were coming out my ears, and I just loved it. I loved all those fantasy stories. And um, as I, ne- I was never big on reading, like, the Bobsy Twins stories or, you know, the Hardy <laughs> Boys, any of those. I wasn't Nancy big on Drew. <laughs> yeah, I didn't do Nancy Drew. Um, but even now, I don't 
really read detective stories much. I I read a lot of literary fiction. I read a lot of women's fiction. Um, so as far as authors, you know, a lot of times people have asked, who's your favorite author? And I said, I don't have a favorite author. I have favorite books that I like. But I tend to like one book by this author and one book by that author and one book right, by another right. author. I think there are so many... I don't think there's one author that I can say every one of their books is on my top books list. As a matter of fact, you know, one of my all-time favorite books is To Kill a Mockingbird, but I haven't bought the the sequel yet because I think that, I don't know, it's like that book belongs in a in a place by itself. And I'm so I honored see. when people compare my writing to To Kill a Mockingbird, and on Spare Change especially. I have gotten so many reviews that said, this is like To Kill a Mockingbird, in that, you know, it's the gritty South, the, you know, where things aren't so good. And Right, right, right. Um, yeah, everybody's talking about Harper Lee's new book, uh, the sequel to To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah. And uh, so I guess we'll eventually pick it up, but I, I'm with you. I'm going to wait a while. Yeah. Uh, Betty, let's talk about the of the state of publishing today. I'm sorry, Betty, how is Yes, Betty, uh, my question is, I'd like to discuss the volatility of the state of publishing today. How is getting books published today different than when you first started out? And where do you see the publishing industry in the, let's, let's say, next five years going? Well, I think it's, a, it's a, the publishing industry, as it is now for indie authors, is a double-edged sword. Okay. And I say that because it both gives you the opportunity to publish, you know, even though you haven't gotten. When you go through an agent um, and you go through the submissions process and you're sending thousands and thousands and thousands of letters to agents, it's such a subjective thing because sometimes a book that isn't nearly as good gets through because it ticked the agent on a on a certain thing. Maybe it's about Alzheimer's, and she's her mother has Alzheimer's, or right, um, right. It, can, it can be anything like that. It can be any subject that just touches a bone to that agent. So you go through the agent, then you've got to get the agent to go through the publisher and get right. it. And um, I did for a while. I did go through a, a couple of agents, and a couple of times they had my books at the publishing roundtables, which is where they make a final decision. But, right. you know, you were t you're talking about, at that time, I was just really starting out, so to speak. I, I really didn't have a platform. Um, over the years, I've built one. but um, And you're talking about that they're sitting around the table, and one, one agent, one um, editor is saying, gee, this book by Betty Crosby is good. And the other one says, yeah, well, I have a Tom Clancy that trumps it, <laughs> you know. So yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's kind of a tough business like that. So you turn to um, the indie publishing world, and it really is. It's an open field that is a double-edged sword because it gives you the opportunity to get out there and let the real audience make the judgment. An indie author will only be successful if people read and like their work. Right. So the ultimate consumer is your judge and jury in indie publishing, 
which is a good thing. I mean, it helps you if you're if you're putting out a book that they can honestly fall in love with and hold on to. It will help you, and they'll continue to buy. I have so many reviewers that write, this is my first book by Betty Crosby, but it certainly won't be my last. So I think that's, you know, that's a very positive thing. I don't even look at traditional publishing anymore. But on the other side of the sword, the fact that anyone and everyone can publish, anyone can be a publisher, anyone can publish that book, no matter how good it is or how bad it is, they hit the publish button. Now, ultimately, the judge and jury of consumers will either accept or reject, but in the meantime, there ends up being a lot of skepticism about indie authors for that reason. And I mean, in some ways, yes, it's justified, but by the same token, you you can't fault an industry that's been so good to you. So, as I said, it's a double-edged sword. And you know what? If uh, Given all things, I think it's a good thing. It's competitive. Yes, so do I. So do I. competitive. So do I. Because in the, a long time ago, you had to go to an agent, go to the publisher, and your book yes. would come out hopefully in, in two to three years, they, the way they put yes. uh, print books and publish books so much in advance. But now it's instantaneous. So, yes. wow, I've never seen time fly. So let's talk social media before we go. Oh, I know you're on some of the platforms, Twitter and such. Of the social media platforms, Betty, which one do you feel is the most beneficial for your brand? And which, in your estimation, is the best for authors? Or does each platform offer its own special compensations? Probably, I think it depends in part the author, the type of author, the type of of books they write. I know that there are authors that do um, um, like self-help books and books about publishing, things like that, and they probably do very well on LinkedIn. Um, Twitter is is a mainstay. You always have to be there. It's just a fun thing to bounce back and forth with a few comments. But my favorite probably – I have two favorites, Goodreads which some people hate Goodreads. <laughs> they say it's so hard to navigate, but it really isn't once you get in there and do it. Uh, Goodreads is one of my favorites because the people who are at Goodreads are there to talk about books. They're right. readers. They're bona fide, right. died in the wool. I love reading books, <laughs> people. And so it's wonderful to, to make friends with people on Goodreads, and I've had tremendous success there. As a matter of fact, um, I think it was Spirit Change that was um, voted Best Unknown Book um, on their Listopedia list. And that's just someone put it on that list and other people voted for it. And it stayed at the, in the number one spot for about eight months that it was wow. number one on that list. It's Best Unknown Book. And then I think it got known. <laughs> um, so Goodreads is way up there on my list of favorite websites. And the other one that I love is, I, I love Facebook. You know, as hooky as it may be or it, whatever, I love getting on there and chatting with readers. And, you know, I, I had keep my page open. I have two pages. I have an author page and I have a personal page. And I leave my personal page open also. So anyone and everyone could come by and say hi to me or speak right, to me. Right, right. And, um, um, 
I find that's really fun. I get so many notes from people saying, oh, you know, I bought your book and I read this and I really loved it. I'm going to get the other ones now. And things like that are really great. And I end up being friends with those people. And then they'll write, they'll drop me a note and say, oh, I'm having a book club and I'm picking your book. Would you call us when we talk? So I love that interaction. To me, that social media is not work. It's kind of a social time. If you don't right. enjoy it, there are people who do not enjoy it, and they say, oh, give me strength. I've got to go on Facebook now, or I've got to do Goodreads. And um, I think that comes across. I think if you really enjoy it and you have a good time doing it, um, that will come across, and the people who you're talking with will enjoy it also. I have a fan club on Facebook. Um, it's really fun, too. <laughs> It's a group of, we just got our first guy. For the longest time, we were a group of women in there because they do write <laughs> primarily women's fiction. So we got our um, our first fellow joined this month, this past month, and he wrote in and said, you know, would you mind if I joined? So, of course, we responded back and said no, that it would be delightful to have him. And we named him our official BFF uh, stud muffin. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the name of our group is the BFF Clubhouse and it's oh, Betty's friends and fans. So so Betty, uh give out any contact information, uh, give out your websites, uh your Facebook, uh, any other contact information if someone wants to get a hold of you. Everywhere I am, I'm, I'm under my own name. I started under my own name and I keep it and I use it for everything. It's B E T T E. L-E-E, Crosby, C-R-O-S-B-Y. I'm Betty Lee Crosby on Facebook. I'm Betty Lee Crosby on Goodreads. And my website, which is a great place to stop by and and just browse the books and see what I'm up to and see what I'm writing about these days, is uh, www.bettyleecrosby.com. And it's B-E-T-T-E-L-E-E, Crosby. This has been the Funky Writer Show with me, Robert Batista. I'm at, at author R. Batista on Twitter. You can find my ebooks on Smashwords.com and my novels on Amazon.com. Look for my new novel, The Devil on Line One, coming in the spring of 2016. My guest has been the award-winning winning prolific author, Betty Lee Crosby. And as she said, her website, BettyLeeCrosby.com, is very, very fun, fantastic, and very professional. It's a feast for your soul. Thank you so much, Betty, for being a guest on the Funky Writers Show. My pleasure, Robert. Bye now. <laughs>